Today I'm continuing a series that I started talking about David. Now we come to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And for those of you who are familiar with this, this is where David went out and fought Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine. He was a giant. And it gives his measurements here in cubits and spans. And there's some difference of opinion on exactly how tall he was. But most people believe that he was at least nine foot six. And I've read some commentaries all the way up to 13 feet. And of course, there's some people that just don't believe in the accuracy of the Bible and they discredit these things. But I actually stood next to a man in the Dallas-Fort Worth area who was called the Corn King Giant. I don't know what his name was, but he advertised for this certain company, Corn King something or another. And this guy was nine foot six inches tall. And I remember standing next to him. His feet were just gigantic. And my eyes were right at his belt buckle. That's how tall this guy was. I was actually at a, it was a Golden Gloves boxing match. And I was way up in the nosebleed section. And there was this bald guy that was right down beside the ring. And I kept wondering why he was standing up through the whole thing. And then during the intermission, he stood up. Turned out he had been sitting down. I thought he was standing up. When he stood up, he was a giant. And I went running down there just so I could see this guy. And I physically seen a man who's nine foot six inches tall. And so I don't have any problem at all believing that Goliath was exactly the way that the scripture represents him. He not only was this huge guy, but he had an armor bearer that went in front of him that held a shield that was bigger than the armor bearer. And so uh, that's how huge he was. He had to have another person carry a shield that was bigger than the person. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 17, it says, uh, it gives these measurements of how big he was, how big his spear was, and all of these things. And in verse 8, it says, And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel, and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and you servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall you be our servants and serve us. And look at this in verse 10. It says, And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And so the men went and hid. So every day they would come out and get ready to fight. Goliath would come down, make this challenge, and defy the God and the armies of Israel, and all of the Israelites would just scatter. And then the next day they'd do this whole thing over. So David's father, Jesse, told him to take some food to his brothers that were fighting in the battle. Eliab was the oldest one, and uh, three of his other Three of his brothers were fighting in this battle. And he, Jesse told David to take some food to them and also to take some cheeses to the person who was the captain over the section of the army that David's brothers served in and find out how they were doing. Of course, they didn't have <coughs> the, you know, the news broadcast that we have today. They didn't have the telecommunication, so they didn't know exactly what was happening. And he wanted David to go down and bring back a first-hand report. And so it says in verse 20 that David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, Behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard him. These words were, you know, issuing this challenge that if somebody kills me, then all the Philistines will become servants to the Israelites. If I kill the, Is the Israelite, then all the Israelites will become servants to the Philistines. And then he cursed God and the armies of Israel. And in verse 24, it says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. 
And the man of Israel said, Have you seen this man that is come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the man that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So here's this little kid. Of course, people didn't know he was actually the king. He was the one that was anointed to be king. But from looking on the outside, he was a ruddy guy, beautiful of countenance, great to look on. He was just a pretty kid. And here are all of these rough soldiers and stuff. They were all afraid. They were quaking in their boots looking at the giant. But here comes this little kid and he's got the Spirit of God on him. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And of course, most of you know this story that David went on to kill Goliath. But you need to see some of the things that enabled David to go out and fight against a giant and to prevail. And they're, they're sometimes subtle in here, but they're, these are really powerful. When he says this right here, this is one of the things that set David apart from all the rest of these guys. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? You know what that's referring to? Circumcision was the sign of the covenant. So he was referring to who is this man that doesn't have a covenant to defy those of us who do have a covenant? Now, the truth is that all of the armies of Israel were Jews. They had been circumcised. They had this sign of the covenant, but they weren't dealing with their problem, Goliath, in light of the covenant, in light of the Word of God, what God's promises were. They were only evaluating things looking on the physical realm. Boy, this is huge. This is one of the lessons, see, that I learned from David that just blesses my socks off. David was probably one of the smallest guys. He certainly was one of the prettiest guys based on the things that were said about him in chapter 16. He was not a tough-looking guy at all. But he looked at things through the Word of God, through the promises of God, based on the covenant and not based on what just people said or things in the natural. You know, some of the applications of this to us today are there are people that have this covenant with God that He will bless whatever we set our hand unto. We will lend unto many nations and we shall not borrow. Deuteronomy chapter 28. We are the head, not the tail. That we don't have to owe any man anything. That Jesus became poor so that we through His poverty might be made rich. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. That He wishes above all things that we prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers. 3 John chapter 1 verse 2. And on and on I could go. We've got all of these promises, these covenants about our prosperity. And yet I can guarantee you the average Christian, when the great recession, quote unquote, hit, the average Christian listened to the news. They listened to what other people had to say. They began to start planning on failure. They operated in fear instead of faith. And because of it, there are many, many people that have been struggling for years now when they had no reason to do that way. We have promises about our prosperity. God delights in the prosperity of His servant. And you can look at things through the eyes of the covenant. You can look through the Word of God. And if you do, well then while other people are panicking and selling things at a reduced price, this is a great time for those people that understand the covenant to stand up and go out and fight against these things and overcome. You've heard me say this before, but when... Uh, so-called Great Recession hit in 2009 is when the Lord spoke to me about starting a building up in Woodland Park that was going to cost the very first phase was $32 million. That's the purchase of the property, the infrastructure, and then about a $20 million building. And we did this during the Great Recession. And while other churches and ministries are pulling back and laying off and planning on failure, we started the greatest expansion that we've ever had in this ministry. And on top of our $2 million per month that we need just to pay our bills, we brought in an extra $32 million over three and a half years and paid for that facility debt-free. Amen. You know why? Because of the covenant. 
That's exactly what David is saying. He says, this man doesn't have a covenant. This man has no right to do this. We're the ones with the promises. See, he was looking at things not on based on how tall this guy was, not based on the fact that he had a shield that was taller than David was, not based on his coat of mail and his helmet and his sword and all of these kind of things. He looked at this based on the covenant. And the scripture says, in Deuteronomy, it says it in a number of places, that no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, but you will prevail against all of them and overcome them. Goliath was a man. He was a big man, but he was a man. And he came under that promise. And David looked at this through the eyes of the covenant. I'm telling you, if you are going to overcome problems in your life, you have to get to where you base your life on what God's Word says based on His promises and not based on what the news says, the newspaper, the internet, and stuff like that. Now that's really easy to say and some people think, well, you're making a big deal out of nothing. This is a big deal. I'm telling you, we are being fed a bunch of lies. We are being fed propaganda we are being told that you can't prosper during certain times. We're being told that this disease is incurable. We're told that if you're born with this problem, you can never get over it. And I'm saying all of those things are lies. They may be true if you don't factor God into it, but I'm telling you God exists and He has promises and His Word is true. And if you factor the Word of God into it in your covenant with God, you should not be listening to these lies. The re all of these Jews could have done the exact same thing that David did. But they didn't. Instead, they just looked on the outward appearance. They judged things based on externals instead of looking at the Word of God. And because of it, they were fearful. Boy, that's huge. You know, most people would like to kill the giants. Most people would like to have that on your resume, that I killed Goliath. I've overcome this problem and stuff. But you know what? Very, not very many people will sit there and take the time to learn the covenant, to learn the Word of God, to base their life on it. They want all of the results that that brings, but they don't want to put the effort into it. They'd rather sit down and watch as the stomach turns on the television instead of getting into the Word of God. I'm telling you, that's not how it works. If you are going to win the way David won, you need to have this attitude that you are a covenant-minded person. You are a Word person. You base your life on what the Word of God says and not what the doctor says, the lawyer, the counselor, whoever. You base your life, you look at everything and evaluate it compared to the Word of God. And the Word of God says that my God will supply all of my need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. It didn't say except in a recession, except if you're laid off except whatever. No, it's just a covenant. It's a promise. God is going to supply all of your need according to His riches and glory. It's not based on the U.S. economy or any other economy. God is going to supply your needs. That's what the Word says. Are you going to look at the Word and say this is an uncircumcised problem? This doesn't have the promise. It doesn't have a covenant. I'm the one with the covenant. I'm the one that God's on my side. If you would approach your problems with that attitude, you'd slay them the same way that David slew the giant right here. And so David began to start saying these things, and his brother heard him say this. And look at this in verse 28. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the man, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Eliab began to start criticizing his youngest brother, David, and he imputed unto him all of these wrong motives. He says, who did you leave those few sheep with? In other words, you're irresponsible. You came down here to watch the battle. You aren't doing what you're supposed to do. The truth is, we read these verses over here, that David's father, Jesse, told him, to take these food and go see how his brothers were doing. So this is totally unjust. It was not a just criticism. He, uh, he told David, I know thy pride in the naughtiness of thine heart. In other words, he said it was just arrogance on David's part. It wasn't obedience in any of the... He just began to start impugning the character of David. And let me tell you why he did that. Any person, you know, here he was. He was one of these soldiers, and when Goliath came out, he went and hid. He was, 
He was in the army. He was supposed to be fighting the enemy, and instead of fighting him, he was running and hiding. And here comes this runt of a brother along, and the brother is doing what the oldest brother, Eliab, should have been doing. Did you know when people react the way Eliab did, it's because they're convicted by what you're saying. And they have to do one of two things. They either have to humble themselves and repent and say, you're right, I'm wrong, which very few people have the character to do that. The easier thing to do, and what's done most of the time, is they will just turn on you and go to attacking you. And if they can discredit you, well, then all of your actions and the things you're saying are likewise discredited, and they can deflect it, and it doesn't have any impact on them. You know, I I think it was O.J. Simpson when he was tried. I never saw that, but I heard about it. And when he was tried, they had this... uh, I think Mark Furman, I forget the exact name. But anyway, somebody who knew him, who had a condemning testimony against O.J. Simpson and could have turned the jury and the whole trial in a different direction. But it turned out that this man who testified against Simpson had a lot of problems and lies and he was proven to be, um, you know, quite a character that didn't have a lot of integrity. And what they did, the defense attacked the witness and discredited the witness and by doing so they discredited his testimony and it was basically factored out of the trial. In a sense, that's what happens. When you stand up for the Lord and you begin to speak the Word of God, people become convicted and either they've got to repent and humble themselves or they've got to discredit you. And so most of the time what they will do is attack you. In a way, when you get attacked and criticized for your stance and speaking forth that you are going to prosper even during a recession, you're going to be healed when it's flu season and everybody else is sick, when you believe that things are going to work out good and you're speaking your faith based on the covenant, people who are convicted by what you're saying will usually attack you in an effort to discredit you. So if you understand it that way, this is actually a compliment. It's a backhanded compliment because you are hitting the mark. You are putting pressure on them. You know, I've often said that I can stand to be persecuted, but I can't stand to be ignored. If people persecute me, it's because they're convicted by what I'm saying and they're trying to push back so that they don't have to change. They're trying to justify themselves. But if they ignore me, that means, you know what, I haven't really spoken under the power and the anointing of God or they would have been convicted. If you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps the loudest is the one that God hit. And I tell you, if you are truly ministering the Word of God, it's going to make some people uneasy. They will either repent and humble themselves or they will attack you. One of the two. And you know, I personally believe that the reason that Eliab came out against his brother so strong is because if you'll go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, it talks about that When Samuel saw Eliab, this is verse 7, or excuse me, verse 6, it came to pass when they were come that he uh, looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. I've already talked about this to some degree, but Samuel, the prophet who came to anoint a king, he thought that Eliab was going to be the next king because he was the biggest, the strongest, the toughest. And it said that what he was thinking, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. And I don't know if he spoke that out or if it's just his thoughts, but you know what? Body language can communicate. And I personally believe that when he saw Eliab and he thought that this is it, before God corrected him and showed that it's not going to be according to his height of his stature, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Before he got that message, I believe somehow in his facial expressions or something, he probably conveyed to Eliab that this was it. Eliab got his hopes up and then they were dashed and instead of him being accepted, his runt brother was the one who was anointed to be king and I believe it was nothing but jealousy. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. And I personally believe that this contention that we see right here is because Eliab was jealous of David. It was all about pride. He was passed over. David was promoted and he was jealous and envious of David. And here's another great truth. 
not only do you see all of these things we've talked about, you need to recognize that it's sometimes your own family that's going to come out against you. And you know, in a way, I can understand that because they remember you as the little kid. They used to change your diaper. They remember you with the runny nose. They, they remember every mistake that you've made. They don't see you as a man or as a woman of God. And it's hard for people who are close to you and know every little wart and problem that you've got in your life. It's hard for them to evaluate you the way maybe a total stranger who's only seen you in a position of strength under the anointing of God. And so I can understand why your own family sometimes are the ones that reject you. But just like David, if he would have tried to have justified himself... And if he would have started arguing with Eliab, because he could have explained to him that Jesse, the father, sent him to do this. He wasn't there on his own. It wasn't pride. It wasn't naughtiness of in his own heart. He was following instructions, and he was speaking based on the Word of God. He could have justified himself, but if he had done it, he might have won the argument, but he wouldn't have ever won the war. Because right after this, it says in verse 29, David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? In other words, he's saying, hey, this, is, this isn't founded. There's no reason for you to criticize me. I've got a cause. I've got something that's more important than standing here and arguing with you and trying to justify myself. Boy, that's powerful. Many of you have heard me give this testimony before, but when I was receiving a lot of criticism, this guy, Joe Nay, who is like a real mentor to me, I went to his meeting. He called me out among everybody, and he had a vision. And he said, I see you like a runner on the track. And you're running this race on this oval track. And he says, you're beating everybody else. But the people in the grandstands are yelling at you and saying, you're doing it all wrong. And he says, I see you getting off of the track and going up into the grandstands, arguing with the spectators. And then he said these words that changed my life. He says, even if you win the argument, you're going to lose the race. And this is another tactic that the devil will use against you is to try and get you off track justifying yourself, explaining yourself, trying to win over your family, your friends, and things like this. And I tell you, David responded by saying, what have I now done? In other words, there's no reason for you to criticize me like this. And he says, is there not a cause? He had some purpose that was bigger than winning his brother's approval. There was something that took precedent over that. You know, I don't believe that God wants any of us to like rejection. He made us for relationship with Him. And there's just something inside of every person that wants to be accepted. Something's wrong with you if you like people being mad at you. But there are some things that are more important than winning everybody's affection and getting everybody to like you. And, and we've just got things that God has called us to do and you have to go ahead and if it causes people to be mad at you, let them be mad at you. There's a cause, something bigger than yourself something bigger than winning a popularity contest. You need to speak the truth. And that's what David was saying. And so he turned from his brother, it says in verse 30, and he turned from him towards another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And in verse 31, And when those words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. Now notice, it was after he had turned from his brother and he started speaking his faith again about how he could overcome this giant. It was then that people heard what he said and brought it before Saul, and he gained an entrance to the king. If he would have been there arguing with his brother and trying to justify himself, these words wouldn't have been heard. They wouldn't have brought him before the king, and he would have lost this opportunity to go out and fight Goliath and win this battle. See, if the devil gets us up into the grandstands arguing with the spectators instead of doing what God called us to do, we are not going to prosper. Man, this is huge. And this is why a lot of people don't slay the giants in their life. is because they get off track. Somebody's offended them. They're over in a corner. And forgive me for being blunt. I just hadn't got time to pussyfoot around and, and beat around the bush. I'm just telling you, a lot of people over in the corner sucking their thumb feeling bad about the way people have talked about them. And because of it, they aren't doing what God called them to do. Get over it. Grow up. Pull your thumb out of your mouth and just go on and do what God called you to do. I'm not saying that to be mean to anybody. I'm just trying to encourage you and telling you the truth. 
And so they brought him before uh, Saul, the king. And in verse 32, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go fight against this Philistine, to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. So David had, uh, he was different than all the rest of the army. While they were hiding, he was boldly proclaiming. I'm sure he felt like a, you know, a heel thumb standing out among all these other people. He felt weird. Then his brother came out against him, again to start trying to criticize him, and he deflected that, and he had a cause that was bigger than winning his brother's approval, and he kept going. Now here's the king, the man that was highest in position of authority in that land, and here's the king telling him, you can't do it. It won't work. You're but a youth. He's a man of war from his youth. How do you overcome... The criticism of all of these people, when you seems like you're the only one who's got the boldness and the faith and the confidence to do this, how do you persist when everybody else is going the opposite direction? Look at David's own words. This is really powerful. David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine. If you watched my program a couple of days ago, you'll notice that this is a reference to the covenant. This Philistine didn't have a covenant. David is referring once again, I'm the one with the promises. This guy doesn't stand a chance because I've got God behind me. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Man, that is powerful. So how did David overcome everybody else's rejection and unbelief and criticism of him? You know what? He went back to times that he had already proven God and seen God's power come upon him. And it was basically, he's saying that it was because of his past experiences when he was out there and nobody else was watching, when it was relatively insignificant, because he had been faithful in a little bit, now he was confident that he could overcome in this big deal. You know, this is exactly the point that Jesus made in Luke chapter 16, after he had talked about this parable of the unjust steward, he said, He that is faithful in little will be faithful in much, but he that is unjust in little will be unjust in much. If you haven't been faithful in that which is another man's, nobody is going to commit unto you that which is your own. And he basically was saying that you've got to prove God in small things before you can win in big things. You know, we understand this in the natural realm. If a person wants to go run a race, if you want to win a marathon, you don't just get up the morning of the marathon and start running and go out and win. You have to start training and you have to learn how to run 100 yards before you can run, you know, a marathon, 26.2 miles. If you're going to lift weights, you've got to lift little weights before you can lift big weights. Everybody understands that in the natural. You've got to start with something small and work up. And yet in the spiritual realm, there's people that just think that, you know, they've never trusted God. They've never believed God for anything. But when the real big stuff comes, no problem. I can handle it. You know, let me just say some things. These are personal convictions. I believe that they're based on Scripture. So I'm not apologizing for them. But I'm aware that not everybody thinks the way I do. And, and some people will think I'm extreme. And that's okay. But, you know, one of the reasons that I don't take medications, that I don't wear glasses, that I don't do a lot of things. And I'm not against anybody who wears glasses or takes medications and does this. But I'm just saying, when are you going to start believing God? Are you going to wait? And, you know, if you can take a pill to deal with your headache, if you can go some other direction, are you going to just rely upon all of these human, natural things? But when cancer comes... 
you're going to be ready and you're going to stand. And the doctor says it's incurable. They send you home to die. But no problem, you're going to believe God. If you've never believed God for a headache, if you've never believed God for a toothache, if you've never prayed over your eyesight, if you've never prayed over your back, if you've never done anything, and you've just always just taken the easy route out and whatever you can to deal with it, and you've never exercised your faith, then you get to something that the doctors can't handle, and you wonder why you aren't seeing healing. It's because you've never exercised yourself. You've never trusted Him in a small thing, and you won't have the confidence. See, David trusted God in these relatively small things. He was just keeping a few sheep out in a pasture somewhere. And I'm sure that, you know, the reason he was keeping them was to protect them and his father wanted him to keep away the wild animals. But his father certainly didn't want David to die in the process. I mean, if it came to a choice between David and one sheep, his father would have just as soon let, you know, this lion or the bear take the one sheep and David save his life. But David took his responsibility seriously And he went out and he said right here that he grabbed this lion by his beard. It's, uh, I'm assuming that it's just exactly what it looks like. That he with his bare hands fought and killed a lion and a bear. You know, this doesn't look possible. But I believe it is. I I really believe that when uh, Samson, you know, had this spirit of might come upon him and he did all of these things. Everybody wanted to know what his secret was. If he would have been this Herculean looking guy that I man had these rippling muscles and just this gigantic person, nobody would have wondered what his secret was. He was just this super strong person. But I believe that Samson was just a normal looking guy. I don't believe he had any more muscles than I did, but there was a spirit of God that came on him that enabled him to do these supernatural things. I've seen that happen to me. I've, I've done things that certainly are beyond my physical ability, and yet I've just had the power of God come up on me, not only physically, but emotionally, spiritually, when I'm facing some problems. And I know that the anointing of God, it's like a spirit of might, and it just enables you to do things that are beyond yourself. And I think that that's what David operated in. I believe he did just like he said. He took them with his bare hands and the Spirit of God came upon him and he killed a lion and a bear protecting a few sheep on the backside of the desert when nobody was watching. And it's because he had already proven God faithful in these small things that he had the confidence to go out and say, I know that I can defeat this giant. I tell you, this is huge. And there's a lot of people, there's lots of people watching this program right now that you want to go out and when the grandstands are full, when all of the Philistines and the Israelites, I mean hundreds of thousands of people are watching, then you want to go out and be strong and you want to do some exploit and show that God is powerful and that He can flow through you. But you wouldn't be faithful in a small thing. And I know some of you will think I'm taking a huge leap here, but I I believe it's the exact same principle that I'm talking about. There's some of you that in big things, you're going to be faithful to God. But in small things, you'll compromise. You'll take the easy route out. There's some of you that work for an employer and you'll take, you know, pens, paper clips, staplers. You'll take things there. It's a big corporation. They'll never miss it. And in a small thing, you just think it's not important. I don't have to be faithful in this. But boy, you aren't ever, if you get into your own ministry, you'll never steal money from that ministry. You'll do everything right. You'll dot every I, cross every T. You're going to be faithful in the big things, but you won't be faithful in a small thing. I'm telling you, that's one reason that God doesn't put you out in front of the armies to go fight the giant is because you haven't been faithful in that which is least. So therefore, you aren't going to be faithful in something bigger. I can truthfully say that if I hadn't have been faithful when God gave me an opportunity to teach a Sunday school class, to work in the nursery, to start pastoring, and I only had about five or six people in the first church that I pastored, and if I hadn't have been faithful there, and if I hadn't have been faithful all of these steps along the way, God wouldn't be giving me the opportunities that I've got now. It's a law of God. Luke chapter 16. If you aren't faithful in that which is least, you will not be faithful in the greater. If you can't do the least, you can't do the greater. You know, if I can't jump five feet, 
you would be smart to put money on the fact that I can't jump 10 feet or 20 feet. If I can't do that which is least, I can't do that which is greatest. And likewise, if you can't trust God when it's just a headache or a toothache, and if you just, you know, take the easy route out, and I'm not against that. I'm not saying you're sinning or anything, but I'm just saying when is it that you're going to start exercising your spiritual muscles? Are you going to wait until it's some huge thing like cancer that you've got to overcome before you ever start using your faith? I've just chosen to start believing God for everything. You know what? I've it's it's been 46 years and I just don't take medication. I don't go the other route. I'm not condemning anybody who does. If you do it, I'm not mad at you. God loves you. You can go to heaven with all of these sicknesses and stuff. Matter of fact, you'll get there quicker because you aren't going to have the faith to believe God when something that's beyond the medical profession comes at you. I've just chosen to exercise my faith and start believing God for perfect eyesight. Moses was 120 years old and his natural force wasn't abated, nor his eyesight dims, what it says in the book of Numbers, and that's or Deuteronomy. And that's what I choose to believe. That's what God said to Moses, and I've got a better covenant, and so praise God, I'm believing God for my eyesight. It's not perfect. I... I have to believe God, but you know what? This is small print in a Bible, and I've never had any LASIK surgery. I've never had anything done, and I can read this. It's not as good as it used to be, but it's still good, and it's better than it would have been if I hadn't believed God, and I'm believing for perfect eyesight. There's nothing wrong if I want to go get some glasses, but I'm saying I'm just trusting to believe God. It's this same principle that David operated in. He was faithful in small things when nobody was watching. And because of that, by his own admission, this is what gave him the confidence to go out and fight Goliath when everybody was watching and everything was on the line. And I'm telling you, I really believe that there's a lot of people that they just don't exercise themselves. You know, there was a time when Jamie and I were really poor, and I mean, if we didn't, just believe God and start confessing our faith. We couldn't eat. We couldn't get things. We, we were just living from hand to mouth and we were struggling financially. Now we're blessed. I get a salary. And you know what? I don't have to believe God for money. But I, this principle right here, did you know I still believe God for money? Every time Jamie's birthday comes around, our anniversary comes around, Christmas comes around, I don't write checks or use the credit card. I'm not, it wouldn't be sin if I did. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying I still need to learn how to trust God just like it was 20, 30 years ago when I didn't have any other options. Now I can go write a check. I could use a credit card. I could do all kinds of things. And yet I still believe God so that Jamie won't know how much money I spent on her because it's not a credit card. It's not a check or something. I pay cash and I just believe for it. And you know what? We get a salary now. Most people don't know that I ever need any money. And it's, it's still unusual for people to give directly to me. But I'll go to Believing God every year around our anniversary, Jamie's birthday, and just like clockwork, I'll have people come and give to me because I'm using my faith. I don't have to do that. It's not like it's sin if I just take the money that we already have in the bank. But I am exercising myself. I'm keeping my faith working. I'm not going to just have a testimony about what happened to me 25 or 30 years ago when I had no option. Now that I do have money, I still believe God and I still see God supply our needs personally. And it's this same principle. And I'm just encouraging some of you that there are many of you that just take the easiest route and you don't believe God. You don't trust God in the area of finances, in the area of healing, in the area of emotions and just all kinds of things. You just have gotten to where you can do things on your own. I'm telling you, there's benefit to just trusting God in these areas and letting God be the one that promotes you. And by David's own confession, this is what gave him the confidence to go fight Goliath is the fact that he had been faithful in small things. And so because of that, he was able to do the big things. That's huge. That is big. 
And you know, another application, there's some of you who want to be pastors of churches or you want to have a ministry or you want to be a CEO of a company or whatever, and you just are in a sense thinking that you can go from zero to hero in one step. And that's not what the Word of God teaches. Over in Mark chapter 4, Jesus taught a parable and He said that first there's the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. It's teaching stages. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Nobody goes from zero to a thousand miles an hour all at once. If you do, that's not acceleration. That's a wreck. It'll kill you. You have to start out and you start small and you speed up and you gradually increase. It's the same thing in the kingdom of God. You just don't jump from never having done something into a total fulfillment of everything all at once. David, first of all, had to be faithful with just a few little sheep and put his life on the line. And I mean... Basically, his future, everything that he had dreamed of, he was willing to risk it all to be faithful in something small that most people wouldn't have, wouldn't have criticized him over at all. He stood and he believed God. And because of that, when he got into the big stadium and here's everybody watching him, he could go out and fight Goliath because he had already proven the power of God in his life. And there's people watching this program right now that you're wanting the great results. But you won't be faithful in a small thing. You'll take little stuff from your business. You'll compromise in small things. You know, if you were pastoring a thousand member church, oh, I'd be studying and doing all this. But what are you doing right now? You know, there's people that right now, you aren't faithful, you aren't studying the Word, you aren't giving yourself to, oh, but if I was doing something important, then I'd be motivated. Well, if you aren't motivated when things aren't so important. And if you aren't faithful now, you won't be faithful later on. I'm telling you, this is a principle of God. This is one of the lessons that I learned from David that just inspires me. This inspires me to be faithful in small things. I believe that when I was pastoring a little church in Sigaville, Texas, and we had usually around five people there. Sometimes we'd have as many as 12. That's about the largest it ever was. I was there for two years. And you know what? I gave it everything I had. I shepherded those people. I preached. I mean, I gave them everything I had. And I believe that the attitude that I exhibited there was what allowed God to start increasing me. The next church I went to was around, I don't know, we'd have 50 or so people come in Childress, Texas. And I gave it all I had. And then I moved on to another place, Pritchett, Colorado. And we had over a hundred people coming out of 142 people in the town. And all of those were stepping stones. I was giving it all I had. And now I can look back in the same way that God was faithful to me in those smaller ministries with less impact the lessons that I learned, the things that God worked in my life, they are an integral part of what God is doing in me now that I'm reaching people all over the world. And there's many people that would like to have the end result, but you don't want to take these steps along the way. I'm saying you've got to be faithful just like David was. And this is where your confidence and boldness comes from is the fact that you've already proven God to be faithful in something smaller. Now you can step up to other things. Well, that is a powerful, powerful truth. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 38, this is still talking about David preparing to go out and fight with Goliath. And after Saul had seen this anointing that was on David's life and recognized it because he also had had the anointing of God come upon him and he had gone out and won mighty battles because of the boldness and the power that God gives you. I tell you, you can if you've ever had the anointing of God come upon you and empower you to do something that is beyond yourself, you can recognize that same power and anointing in another person. And I believe that that's what happened to Saul. And so after he's finally told, David, you can go fight with the giant. Then in verse 38, 1 Samuel 17, 38, it says, And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with the coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proven it, proved it. 
And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. You know, this is a powerful truth, too. This is one of the things that I've learned from David. And that is that, see, everybody says you can't do it. And then finally, when you're just so bold and so confident, they say, all right, go ahead. But now they're going to tell you how to do it. You know what? Saul's armor wasn't doing him any good. It hadn't emboldened him to go out and fight with the giant. Why would you want to take the armor of someone else when it's not doing them any good? Why do you want to take other people's opinion and direction when God is the one? It was God's faithfulness on the backside of the desert, killing the lion and the bear that was David's real confidence. You know, you need to, you need to keep true to the things that God has done in your life that have promoted you. You know, in my own life, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but God has just shown me a lot of things. He has spoken many, many, many things to me. And my life has been supernaturally blessed by God. I mean, I am so thankful for what God has done. And now we are influencing a lot of people. And now people are beginning to see that God has blessed us. And I have people all the time come and tell me that here's what we ought to do. And they have never done the things that God has allowed me to do. I have people all of the time giving me directions about how I should do television, how I should do these meetings, how I should do this, this, this. And they're always telling me things, and yet they themselves haven't done this. But there is a tendency for you to think, well, I need to listen to all of these people. And yet God has spoken to me through this very passage of Scripture that, you know what, I need to keep doing what God has called me to do. I don't need to try and be like anybody else. I just need to stick with what works for me. And so David said, I can't go with these. You know, also it says that Saul was the biggest man in all of Israel. The next tallest person in Israel only came up to his shoulder. So Saul was this giant of a man. And I imagine that his armor was huge. And yet David was a runt. He was ruddy. He was beautiful to look on. He wasn't this big, strong specimen of a man. He was a small, wiry type of guy. I could just imagine David being able to turn completely around in that suit of armor and never move the armor. (laughs) It just didn't fit him. And there is a great lesson here that you need to work. You need to face your problems, deal with the giants in your life based on what God has already done in your life. You need to stay true to what God has shown you. You don't ever outgrow faith and trust and believing God. Boy, that's one of the things I learned through David. So anyway, he took off all of Saul's armor and he just grabbed his sling and he went down to this brook and he took five smooth stones in his hand. You know, I went to this exact spot, the Valley of Elah, and it was a hot day. The people didn't want to stop and get out in the heat and stuff, but I did because I wanted to get out and visualize this and help me to just relate to it. And I walked right down to this little dry creek that was running through there and I grabbed five little stones and put them in my hand and I looked around and I can imagine David doing this you know some people have tried to speculate why he got five stones well Goliath had four brothers and it's very possible that he got five stones because he was not only going to kill Goliath he was ready to take on the whole family if he had to later on David and all of the men that were under him in the army did kill the other four brothers of Goliath and so that may be the reason that he picked this up Also, I believe it's possible, and this will really rub some people the wrong way, because they think that when you go out and do what God tells you to do, that everything is just perfect, and that, uh, you know, you never make a mistake, and everything just works perfectly, and so they just see that David only needed one stone. But I believe it's possible. I'm not saying for sure, but it's possible that David picked up five stones just in case he missed the first time, that he'd have some more. Amen. And some people think, well, that's not faith. You know, in my own life, I believe God has led me to do certain things. But I don't ever do anything perfectly. And it doesn't mean that God didn't direct it. I've just found out that, you know, God speaks things to me. But by the time it gets through coming through me, it doesn't always work perfectly. When we moved into this building that we're in right here where I'm shooting my television programs... We moved in about four months later than I anticipated, and we actually had to move in November of 1994. I think it was, or no, it would have been 2004. 
is when we moved in. November of 2004, we wanted to move in like in August before the school year started. It would have been a lot easier, but we just didn't make it. The money didn't come in. We didn't get the construction done. And so as we moved into this building, I had a woman walk up to me at the dedication service, and she says, are you disappointed that you didn't make it? And you know, my response was, disappointed? Man, this is a miracle. We brought in $3.2 million extra uh, on top of all of our expenses, and I was just four months late. I said, I, this is a great, great accomplishment. I said, this is, this is awesome. I said, I've never done anything perfectly in my life. I only missed our deadline by four months. I think it's great. And see, some people just think that if God is leading you, everything should work perfectly. But you can find all kinds of examples in the Word of God where God led people, and yet they experienced difficulties. It may not have worked perfectly, and yet they got the job done. And so this is one of the things, see, that I learned from David right here is that, I don't know, he may have picked up the five stones because Goliath had four brothers. He also could have picked up five stones in case he missed the first time. He wasn't going to quit until he won. If it didn't work perfectly, no problem. He was going to shoot the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, whatever it took. But anyway, I think that that's a great lesson right there. So uh, David went out and he went out and approached Goliath. And as he got closer to Goliath, Goliath was able to size him up, recognize he was just a kid, that he was small, and here was this huge giant. And Goliath took it as an insult. And he said, what am I? He says, am I a dog? This is in verse 43. The Philistine said unto David, am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beast of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I am come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who thou hast defiled. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcass carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And so Goliath was looking at all of the things he had in the natural, his physical ability, the shield, the sword, uh, all of these kind of things. David was looking at the promises of God. And again, this is a great insight about how you overcome things that are bigger than you. You approach it on the basis of the covenant. And again, th he referred to this right here, that he was coming unto him in the name of the Lord. And that'll always cause you to triumph. This is really simple, and I'm sure that, you know, Goliath, if anybody else could have heard what David said, they would have mocked him about, well, what's the name of the Lord compared to look at this huge man and his armor, and he had a shield that was borne by a man who walked in front of him. How could the name of the Lord overcome that? I guarantee you, the Lord is stronger than any physical defense that you could ever have. And this doesn't just apply to David and Goliath. This applies to you and me. I don't care what your situation is. You may be facing a financial thing and they may be repossession. You Maybe the government is coming against you. A bank is coming against you. Maybe you've got some kind of a lawsuit filed against you. Maybe you're facing something in your marriage or whatever it is. And you know, in the natural, the tendency is to sit there and say, but this is the government. You can't overcome the government. You can't overcome this bank. This is the legal system. What about, you know, all of these things? If your faith is in the Lord, and if you are doing what you're doing based on God's direction, I guarantee you, you are well equipped. See, people sized this up, and they saw the giant, and they looked at all the physical things. Then they looked at David, who had no armor. All he had was a sling, and he was a small guy. He was a youth, and people looked at that. But the proper way to look at that is that David was an anointed king. He had been anointed by God. The power of God was upon him. And this was a totally unfair fight. Goliath never stood a chance. I mean, if you look at it from the spiritual side, Goliath was naked. He had nothing. He didn't have a covenant. He didn't have God behind him. David was the one that had the anointing of God on him, the Word of God, the power of God, the favor of God was on him. It was an unfair fight from the beginning. I know that a lot of people think, man, I've never looked at things that way. That's the reason that you are overwhelmed by all of these problems and stuff that come against you. But I'm promising you God has a promise in His Word 
for your success, for your victory in every situation. And if you would have relationship with God and then learn these promises, stand in faith on them, then I guarantee you all of the giants that stand in your way don't stand a chance. That is absolutely true. And so it says that David ran towards Goliath. He wasn't timid in this thing. Man, he was bold. You know, when you really get in faith, it says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1, that the wicked flee when there's no man without, but the righteous are bold as a lion. When you really start understanding your right relationship with the Lord, it produces boldness on the inside of you. If you're timid and shy and fearful, it's because you aren't approaching your problems based on your relationship with God and the promises of God. You're looking at things in the natural. You know, that needs to be (laughs) said again for somebody. That might have gone right over your head. But if you are worried, if you're timid, if you're fearful, it's because you are looking at things from a human standpoint. You aren't viewing things through the covenant. You aren't seeing things from God's standpoint. I can guarantee you God's not wringing His hands in heaven over anybody's situation and saying, oh, this is so bad, I'm not sure I can pull it out. Nothing is big to God. God is bigger than any problem that you're facing. And when you start understanding your position in Him, now if you aren't born again, you need to first of all get born again. You need to get into relationship with God. But if you are born again, if you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you the things that are on the inside of you Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, 1 John chapter 5. And you are the one who's the winner, if you would just see it from that standpoint. David ran towards Goliath. He wasn't timid. He was bold. He went and he threw that stone. And again, people say that David was this crack shot with a sling. He may have been, but it's also possible that, you know, he was just maybe average. He threw that stone. God made it hit its mark. Every, you know, it talks about the, the armor that uh, Goliath had. And he had on a helmet. And every helmet that I've ever seen protected like this forehead part because that was a sensitive part. And so if he was wearing a helmet, I suspect that he had some kind of metal protecting his forehead. For this rock to sink into, into Goliath's forehead, I don't believe it was just David's skill and David's might. He may have been an excellent shot, but to penetrate the armor... And to enter, I believe that David did what he could do and God supernaturally multiplied it. And this is another lesson that I've observed lots of times that God will take my feeble attempts and I'm just doing things the best I know how in response to God and God will supernaturally empower it and multiply it. The same thing is true for you. You may feel like, but I'm inadequate. Well, you do what God tells you to do and God will supernaturally multiply it. And that's what happened. This stone penetrated that armor, sunk into uh, Goliath's forehead, and Goliath fell on his face. Now, again, I've been in that valley of Elah where this, place, where this took place. And it says that the Philistines were on the mountains round about. The mountains are like two, three miles away or something. It's a huge area right there. And so they were at such a distance. They saw Goliath fall, but they didn't know if he tripped. They didn't know maybe he was just wounded. Maybe he could get up and fight again. The armies didn't flee when they saw Goliath fall. But it goes on to say right here in verse 51, Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword, drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now, see, this is another lesson to learn that is really important, and that is that some people will resist the devil. They'll resist their giants, their problems, until they get a little bit of relief. You know, maybe they're dealing with a sickness, and it's just incapacitating. It's just bothering them. They will pray and believe God, and they get a little bit better, and they get to where they can live with it, and they stop, and they allow that thing just to stay there and fester. They fight their enemies until they go over the hill, but then they, they stop pursuing them and those enemies come back and defeat them some other day. One of the lessons to learn from David is that, see, he, he knocked Goliath down, but he didn't stop there. He stood upon him, drew his own sword out of the sheath, cut Goliath's head off and held it up. And when he held up Goliath's head, there was no doubt now about Goliath, whether he was ever going to come back and fight and win. 
He conquered him, cut his head off, ended this problem. And when the Philistines saw that is when they fled. And I tell you, this is a great lesson, and that is that you don't just fight your enemies until they go over the hill. You pursue them until you destroy them. Later in the Psalms, David even said this. He said that, I I pursued my enemies until I destroyed them. He didn't just do this with Goliath. He did this with all of the people that God sent him to fight and to conquer. And it's an attitude that we need as believers And that is that we don't take, uh, you know, just a little improvement in our situations and get to where we can live with stuff. You need to take the Word of God and be extreme with it. You need to be a fanatic. You need to get to where you won't tolerate the devil coming into your life and doing things to you that you literally just refuse to compromise. Compromise is a language of the devil. I guarantee you, if God has spoken something to you, do it. And don't just do it in measure until you see limited success. Follow it through to its full conclusion. You need to get this attitude to where, praise God, I am not going to tolerate anything less than what God has given me. And I believe that we can see all of these things in David. And that's powerful.